side. <clears throat> Thank you for sharing that message, and maybe you can share the secret of how to make a music stand sound like that. <laughs> no. Happy Sabbath, church. All right, today, um, the word of God will be coming through the mouths of our, of our young men, uh, Morgan, Jandel, and Dante. And some of you asked me, hey, why do you, why do you, why haven't we seen you in the pulpit? And um, the question, or the answer to that question is, I don't want to keep all the fun to myself. All right. <clears throat> I tell you what, there's something about being able to teach that causes you to learn more. And so um, it's been a pleasure to be able to meet with these gentlemen over the last several weeks. And uh, basically, as we got together and we prayed, we knew that this was going to coincide with Valentine's Day. And we wanted to be able to to declare the love of God. And so each of these young men have prayed about what it is about God's perfect love that means the most to them or how they've experienced it in their own lives. And so you're going to hear personal experience. You're going to hear uh, biblical study. So um, what I want to do right now is just pray for them, but pray for us that we would see a revelation of God's love. All right, let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, I want to thank you that you know exactly what we need. And when we look to Jesus, we see what satisfies. And so, Father, we pray for a revelation of perfect love today. I pray that you would uh, give these young men mouths that are wide open, tongues that are loosed, so that they might declare what it is that you've placed upon their heart. Uh, Lord, I pray that we, as a church family, would be able to hear exactly what your Spirit is trying to communicate to us. As we flip through these pages, as we hear the stories, Lord, please teach us, please instruct us, but even more, please transform us. We thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Happy Sabbath. I want to apologize in advance in case I pass out up here. Um, they have the, the crane ready in the back to haul me off, so don't worry about it. So, I don't know, when Pastor mentioned we were meeting in the weeks leading up to this thing today, and um, the whole time I was really focused on like, what scriptural truth am I going to bring to you guys today? And I mean, it's like going and going, I had this lesson plan all, all laid out. And then like three days ago, God's like, no, dude, that's not it. Because maybe that's love to somebody, but you need to make this real for you. Amen. And when you make this real for you, then it becomes real for everyone else. Um, so before I um, made a habit of calling myself a Christian, um, I didn't really have a lot of friends or people to hang out with. I mean, I had some people I grew up with, but they were all out of the county or out of state. So I just kind of sat around at home and um, anywhere from four to 12 hours a day, I would just be playing video games. And that's a lot of hours a day. Every, not just the weekends, but every day of the week. And it wouldn't even be in such a way like I was talking with people that I knew or anything like that. For the most part, it was just, I'd come home from school and I'd sit down I and mean, it'd be like the first and the only thing I did, I might do homework, but I usually wouldn't because I could get by without it for the most part. And um, 
that would be it. The, the world inside the TV for me was more real and more important than the world that I was ignoring that God has already given us. Um, part of that was, I don't know, from around puberty, so I don't know, this high, age eight or so for me probably. Um, I really had struggled with, um, with depression, and maybe some of you have, maybe some of you haven't, but it, it's a very basis. What depression is, is a fear of doing a fear of getting up because you automatically assume that anything you do will fail, will be not worth the effort. So you, you find every excuse and every possibility to do absolutely nothing with your life. And um, for the most part, this is what I did. I wrote in a letter to someone, um, while it had had its ups and downs, it was always a dark presence, a rain cloud, a heavy woolen shroud separating me from the world and only letting in the darkest and blurriest of shadows. It was the affliction perfectly tailored for me and video games were the prison into which I crawled to ignore it. Then Jeremiah 29, 11 says, um, for I know the thoughts that I think toward you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you a future and hope. On October 4th of, of uh, 2013, the Prophecy of Hope Seminar started. I missed the first two, but I decided to go online and, and catch up with them, and um, very, very providentially, um, I had classes, let's see what it says, Monday, Tuesday, and Thursday nights, and that series took place on the other four nights of every week. So I was able to go to every single one, and during this time, I had more exposure to scripture and more exposure to real, tangible, solid intellectual arguments than I'd ever had in my life put together up to that point. I mean, it was at this point that, um, I think uh, Pastor Godfrey mentioned earlier that the floodgates were opened and God was finally had the chance to come into my life. Um, Next 1711, these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica in that they received the word with all readiness and search the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. And during the series, I mean, I was very much in the same, uh, same boat. I began to study the scriptures daily. I received the word that I was told with all readiness, but I didn't just take it. I took it and studied it and learned more and went farther with it. I mean, more than a hobby, it became my life. Um, before that, I'd never had anything that so mentally and heartfully um, fulfillingly challenged me all at the same time. There was no experience like it ever. And this whole time from the beginning of October through about mid-December, I played four hours of video games total. I took what it, and like three of those were just showing my mom one of my favorite games when she came over. I mean, it had no hold over me during this period whatsoever. Um, page nine, 519 of the Great Controversy, it says um, that Satan well knows that all whom he can lead to neglect prayer and the searching of the scriptures will be overcome by his attacks. Therefore, he invents every possible device to engross the mind. On December 16th of 2013, I picked up my little brother from the airport as he lives in Oklahoma and he was going to stay with me for a few weeks. Um, growing up, we'd really only bonded over video games, so of course, as soon as he came home, that's what we started doing. And um, at first there was a balance, you know, it was just something I did to socialize with them, and I was still studying scripture. And, but within a few days or a week, um, 
he started spending more and more time in his room just watching TV and doing stuff by himself. So I, of course, instead of refilling my life with what God had me doing, I just refilled it with what I knew from before. Um, it was increasingly torturous because I knew, I knew what I had ahead of me. I knew this path that God had laid out ahead of me that before I'd never had any glimpse of, really. I've never taken any, and yet I still turned away from it. So in my own running, it was so much more painful than anything I'd ever done before, and yet I still just turned back to the uh, video games anyway. January 4th, the day that I was baptized, it was approaching, but... <laughs> By the time I got there, I was so closed off to the Holy Spirit, it was just a ritual. I mean, it, it um, for that time anyway, that was it. Like, I, I went up, and I went in the water, and I came out, and I did everything I was supposed to do, and everything that was planned, but that was it for then. But, you know, God wasn't going to get me that far and just give up on me, because God doesn't give up on any of us. In 1 John... Chapter 4, verse 18 says that there is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear because fear involves torment or punishment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love. In this time, I became increasingly secluded in my own virtual world. Fears of loneliness, aloneness, rejection, torment, and failure all plagued my waking psyche. In response, I shoved myself even more completely into the world inside the television screen, which in turn only bolstered the fears that I was already running from. On February 20th, the date for my brother's departure arrived, but as soon as I returned home, I automatically shuffled right back to what I called the infernal death machine. By the next day, I couldn't suppress my fears any longer, but I also refused to face them. I also refused to let God take them from me. So they, they surfaced instead in the constant, continuous waking thoughts from the moment I, I would be in that half-dream state um, when I wake up to the moment I would go to sleep at night, the only thing I could think about was taking my own life. Every second of every day. And it was more real than any of the times during high school when I didn't have God at all. It was more real than the times when I worshiped Satan. But now when I knew who God was and I was avoiding him, this is when the spirit of the Antichrist was most powerful in my life. But likewise, from Romans 8, 26, likewise the spirit also helps in our weakness. We do not know what we should pray as we ought, but the spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanies which cannot be uttered. So for six days I had, I crammed myself so far into the gaming and the, and the TV and everything just to try to block out the thoughts of the world, of myself. For six days this continued at some point though on the seventh day, after I just watched another movie, I got up to turn on the Xbox. And mind you, it was only a three step walk from my chair to the thing, it wasn't very far. But something during the second step, sometime during that second step, the comforter took and found a crack in the shell around my heart and he took hold. And I told myself that I just can't keep doing this forever. In response, I wrenched my hand away. I mean, this all happened in slow motion. I wrenched my hand away from the power button and my feet toward the second empty guest bedroom in my apartment. And I forced myself, staggering very hesitantly into the darkened room and onto my knees. Deuteronomy 
Chapter 7, verses 7 and 8 says, The Lord did not set his love on you nor choose you because you are more in number than any people. For you are the least of all peoples, but because the Lord loves you and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage. <sighs> not certain... How much time passed, seconds, minutes, hours, I don't know. Soon enough, I was off of my knees. I was on the floor. I was sobbing and weeping and crying and crying out unintelligibly. There was a pool of drool around my head, and I was frothing at the mouth, gnashing my teeth, and writhing around as the comic, cosmically enveloping struggle that had begun before man was even created took place on the throne of my very soul. All I could do was take my heart and dig into it and destroy it and destroy it more and more because my heart is deceitfully wicked and evil and I had to make sure that God took every single ounce of it because if he did not, then I would still be worshiping myself. I would still be putting fear between myself and the man who was love. At a certain point of all this going on, it was enough. I was broken enough. Satan had had enough. God decreed that it was enough. I saw as... I saw as much as felt through my vision, which was extraordinarily blurred from crying and darkness and fear. I saw two fingers reach down like this from everywhere and nowhere at once and touched the center of my forehead. I simultaneously heard these words command this invitation more vividly than anything I'd ever heard anyone say. I just heard these words. Be at peace. And in that instant, even in the very moment of the healing touch from our divine physician, the man who was loved gave me the choice whether or not to accept him. Because in response for one split second after that tremendous final act of devilish pride, I resisted that healing touch that my own faith had secured. But then I didn't. In that single instant, I was done weeping, gnashing, writhing, and frothing. Much more tremendous than that, though. Ineffably so, that depression that had plagued me for as long as I could remember, the perfect affliction, that dark, heavy covering of soot that I had fought with and lost for over a decade, it was gone. Amen. It was gone. Amen. At the touch of a mighty hand, my neurophysiology had been instantaneously rearranged and I was redeemed from the bondage of the living death that had previously consumed my entirety. <laughs> Psalm 34, verse 18 says that the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. Amen. He rescues those whose spirits are crushed. <sighs> Praise the Lord. Amen. Happy Sabbath, church. Um, and happy Valentine's as well, I'd say. And thank you, Morgan, for that wonderful testimony. 
And brothers and sisters, love is personal. Amen? It's, it's not a faraway thought. It's, it's deep in the heart. Um, jumping to the topic of Valentine's, um, you might ask the question, where did we get this tradition of giving up each other's gifts at Valentine's Day? And um, I researched this in online Wikipedia and said, it was first associated with romantic love, but in the 18th century England, it evolved into love expressed by flowers or confectionaries or cards. So we see the cause and effect. So the cause is love, right? It causes love. And the effect is by giving each other gifts. So the main point of this holiday is by giving each other gifts, we love that person. But that's not how God's love works. Um, Let's turn to John 3.16. If you're there, say amen. Amen. Verse 16, for God so what? Loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So the cause of this verse is he... He loved, he gave his only gotten son. By doing that, he loved us. Which is much more than by giving, we love. He gives more than what we can perceive of love. We might just give gifts, but he gave his only begotten son. Give up his son's life so that we may have eternal life. So the question is, what drives God's love for us? What, what compels him to love us? Um, let's turn to 1 John 4. And starting with verse 17. Love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in this world. There is no what? There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, because fear involves, what's that word? Torment. But he who fears has not been made perfect in love, We love him because he first loved us. So what does that mean? Perfect love cast out fear. 
actually have a definition for that. Um, the Greek word for fear is phobos. It's panic, fear, the causing of fear or terror. So this verse is perfect love casts out phobos because fear involves torment. What fears do we have? What phobos do we have? It might be something horrible, something, something that you're scared of, right? But God says, no, perfect love casts out fear. It erases it. He's saying, look, my love, even though you're scared of something, my love can wash all, the way out of, all, all of those fears away. Um, let's go to Psalms 34. Starting with verse 4. I sought the Lord and he, he heard me and delivered me from all my fears. Okay, so now that we know what fear is, we can say, we can cross out that fear and put phobos. He delivered me from all my phobos. It reminds me of Matthew 6.33, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. So I sought the Lord, and he heard me. Very interesting, because most people think that God's ears are closed, because they're sinful, because they're not worthy. But no, it says that God's ears are open. Verse 8, O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is a man who trusts in him. O fear the Lord, you, who, you his saints. There is no want to those who fear him. The young lions lack and suffer hunger, but those who seek the Lord shall not lack any good thing. I have a, um, I have a parable in... Luke 18, that, that really magnifies this passage in Psalms 34. Um, can we turn to Luke 18, starting with verse 9? If you're there, please say amen. amen. Also, he spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves. That they were righteous. But what does what does Psalm 34 says? Blessed is he who trusts in him. Now that's to, that's totally different. That's totally different from blessed is the man who trusts in him. They trusted in themselves that they were righteous. And despised others. So by trusting in themselves, they, they didn't care about others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Now, these are very two different classes. The Pharisees were regarded 
as high leaders of the church, the Jewish church. And a tax collector, he was considered deceitful, lying. He was just evil because they would usually cheat people of their money. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as a tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. So he wasn't really praying. He was just building self-confidence. In it. I, I do this, I do this, I do this. Not once did he recognize that he was sinful himself. He believed that he was righteous. But this is, look at this. And a tax collector standing afar off would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven. So this tax collector, he, he went to the temple. He could not even look up because he was so ashamed. But beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a what? Sinner. This lowly tax collector, he, he acknowledged that he was sinful. Look what Jesus says. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. Um, let's go back to Psalms 34. In verse 15, the eyes of the Lord are on the, what? Righteous. And his ears are open to their cry. So if God's, so if God's ear was open to that tax collector that day. What do you think of the Pharisee? It says that the tax collector was more justified than the Pharisee. But yet the Pharisee was regarded as religious. Brothers and sisters, God wants us to call to him. His ears are open. His ears are never closed. And that's the kind of love God has for us. We can bring all our troubles to him and he will hear us. I have a quote here. It's by Eric Fremen. Immature love says, I love you because I need you. Mature love says, I need you because I love you. So if, God is, if God's ears are open to our cry, if he's so loving to us, how should we love him? It says, mature love says, I need you because I love you. The love is the cause here and needing is the effect. It's not the other way around.
So three main points here is remember that we are God's children and he is our father. Um, point two. It's better to be humbled to be exalted. And point three, his ears are open. Thank you. Good morning and happy Sabbath Church family. And happy Valentine's Day. Usually when you walk through a store, you see heart-shaped balloons, heart-shaped cookies, heart-shaped cards, and big heart-shaped chocolates, am I right? And usually people buy these items because they want to show the people that they love, that they love and care about them. So that's called Valentine's Day love, and that's what people usually do. But this morning, I'm not going to be talking about that kind of love. I'm going to be talking about the love that God can give us, his unconditional love. Turn with me to Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 32. Say amen when you're there. So this is the parable of the lost son and how the father truly loved him. It says in verse one, then he said, a certain man had two sons. So this is talking about Jesus explaining the parable of the prodigal son and how a man had two sons and he loved them both equally. Then in verse 12 it says, and the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portions of good that falls to me. So he divided to them his livelihood. Now, the brother, younger brother out of the two brothers, he asks for the livelihood. And usually if you ask your father for something like money so you can go use it, you'd have to ask please or thank you. But with this, it says that he didn't even ask him. So he practically like demanded it. He didn't, he didn't ask for it. In verse 13 it says, and not many days after, the younger son gathered all together, journeyed to a far country, and there wasted his possessions with prodigal living. So it didn't take him many days for him to get packed up and to get ready, and he was gone. He went to a faraway country, he met some people, and then he just wasted all of his money. Then it says in verse 14, but when he had spent all, there arose a severe famine in that land, and he began to be in want. Then he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him to his fields to feed swine. So practically, he went and found a job, and he joined a citizen from that country, and so his job was to go and feed the pigs. Now it says in verse, 16, and he would gladly have filled his stomach with the pods that the swine ate, and no one gave him anything. Now to me, it wouldn't even take me a second to not want to eat that, because in the Bible, it, Jesus told us that pig is an unclean meat. Now in verse 
17, it says, but when he came to himself, he said, how many of my father's servants have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you, and I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your servants. And so he arose and came to his father, but when he was still a great distance off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. Now that, that's the picture of God's unconditional love. Because if you think about it, if you've been walking around with pigs in the mud and you've been eating their food, you'd have to smell bad and look bad. But the father had so much compassion for his son that he just ran straight for him and he fell on his neck and kissed him. And that's unconditional love. Now it says in verse um, 20, and he's, oh, verse 21, I'm sorry. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight, and am no longer worthy to be called your son. But, in verse 22 it says, But the father said to his servants, Bring out the best robe and put it on him, and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet. And bring the fatted calf here and kill it, and let us be merry. For this is my son, who was dead and is alive again, and was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. So even when he ran off, he spent all of his money, and then he comes back to the father asking for a job, he was still filled with compassion and he gave him a robe, he gave him a ring, and he gave him sandals to wear. And they even killed a fattened calf. Now it says in verse 25, Now his older son was in the field, and as he came and drew near to the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said to him, Your brother has come, and because he has received your, him safe and sound, your father has killed a fattened calf. Now to me, I'd be happy if I had a brother that came back after quite a long time. But it says in verse 28, but he was angry and would not go in. Therefore, his father came out and pleaded with him. Now that's not quite the answer I'd get because yeah, I'd love to see my brother who came home. So it says in verse 29, So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment at any time, and yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, you killed a fatted calf for him, so this is like the picture of you and me. We come to church every day, and we uh, dress nice, we give offering, we give tithe, we listen to pastor's sermons, and we sing. But as soon as there's something, it's teeniest thing that we don't like, or if there's someone that we see at church that we don't really like, then that's when we're filled with jealousy, or anger, or hate. 
So it says in verse 31, and he said to him, son, you are always with me and all that I have is yours. It was right that we should be merry and be glad for your brother was dead and is alive again and was lost and is found. And that's the picture I'm trying to show everyone today because no matter how much sin you've done or how bad it is, God will always forgive you no matter what. And me, I know, like as kids, you think that you can do whatever you want and you can get away with it, but when you grow up, then it starts to eat away at you inside. And even I'm only 13, it's like eating me slowly and slowly. That's why I always like to come here and pray to myself. Please bow your heads with me as prayer. Dear Father, I want you to be with us today as we depart from church and go to potluck. Help us throughout the rest of this week and today as we, you know, Lord, we love you and that's why we're here because whenever we have a sin that we need to lift up to you, we know that you can always forgive us for it. Amen. Amen.